Hello, this is Colby Nelson. Um, this is going to be my final presentation um, for WGS 215. Uh, <laughs> I am doing my presentation on HIV and AIDS within men and the correlation it has to masculinity, as well as just basically all of the different things that HIV and AIDS has brought. Um, so in doing this research, um, I found that you can't just type in like two keywords and, and hope for the best. Um, you have to do some sub questions and some research questions. Um, and so here we go. Um, the first question that I presented or asked uh, that kind of funneled my research um, was why do people think AIDS is a men's disease and or more specifically a gay disease? Um, and while well, doing some research, uh, I found in a 2018 study by the CDC or the Center of Disease um, Prevention and Control, um, men accounted for roughly 31,000 of the 37,968 new HIV diagnoses in the United States, um, which is about 81 or 82 percent. Um, and of those new diagnoses uh, within uh, like that was documented within men, 86% um, of those were attributed or accounted to the gay, um, male, bisexual, and um, MLM communities. Um, so even now, um, we still often pin um, HIV and AIDS to be more funneled towards um, gay men, bisexual men, queer men in general. Um, and with that comes some questioning of masculinity. Um, my second question that I found or presented um, was how has history and the association um, to men shifted um, and did some research, did a lot of um, research questions within that subcategory um, and history.com kind of came through. So according to history.com, the origin of HIV was traced back to SIV or otherwise known as simian immunodeficiency virus. Um, and that attacks the immune system of apes and monkeys. And because we come from a similar genetic line um, throughout history, obviously we found that our genetic makeup is most similar to that of monkeys and or apes. Um, and so HIV, SIV, um, similar acronyms. Um, this discovery helped lead us um, through 1981. That was kind of like our primary discovery. Um, until 1981, where the CDC um, published a public report on um, five men that were seemingly um, healthy homosexual men um, that had been infected with something called pneumocystic pneumonia, um, which comes from um, a bacteria by a very similar name. Um, and because these men... Um, were not known that the uh, pneumocystic pneumonia uh, really never infected people who did not have um, like immunosuppressed systems or did not have like uncompromised immune systems. Um, and as this, you know, as the disorders number grew, um, the results showed itself mostly in homosexual men, um, roughly 135 of the 336 men that had been infected um, had died. Um, but with those being majority men, um, this disease was renamed as uh, quote unquote gay related immunodeficiency, otherwise known as GRID. Um, so obviously we're going, we, we, we pinned it in the 80s on gay men and uh, we called it um, a gay disease, a gay plague, um, which is really obviously 
um, hurtful and affecting to um, the gay and queer community for men. Um, that also comes with a lot of um, underlying masculine, um, like, pieces and, and um, a lot of um, things within um, hegemonic masculinity as well as traditional masculinity is, um, like, the need and want for domination um, as well as just... Um, domination being majority of it within this that was sought out. Um, and I'll, I'll pull back to that. I apologize for introducing it a little bit quicker. Um, but the CDC went through all the passive infection and obviously while majority were men, they did also explicitly state, um, that AIDS positive men or, um, grid positive men could still be straight men. Um, so we still have that aspect of straight men being in there, being included, obviously, because it's not just specific um, to one category of men. Um, And it was renamed from grid to AIDS uh, later in the 1980s, um, so I'll just refer to it as AIDS. Um, But AIDS and HIV is not... um, It's not specific to a sexuality. It's not specific to a masculinity type um, by any means. Um... But yeah, um, and then my third question I wanted to know, tying into that 1980s kind of discovery, was how, and you you made a great point of this, and I appreciate you coming up with this, um, was the difference in like treatments from the 1980s versus now, and what we've done and kind of changed over the years. Um, and so did some research, went to a lot of um, drug websites, but WebMD came with the most information. So um, the first medication, which was azetothiamide or AZT, um, was first approved in 1987. It was improved, uh, approved within four months of being presented um, to the CDC, which is really quick uh, at that point in history um, for approval of a drug. Um, and AZT worked by blocking enzymes that the virus needed to duplicate. Um, that was kind of its method of... of efficiency. However, like every drug has, uh, it had its negative side effects. Um, majority of it being the fact that it just didn't work very well on its own. Um, and it had side effects, including liver problems and, uh, deathly low blood counts. Um, which obviously anytime you hear death included is going to be kind of a red flag as for the drug obviously needed to be developed more. Um, and as the eighties progressed in the nineties, um, Drug makers made several other drugs um, that were classified in a drug class called nucleoside reverse transcriptase inhibitors. I don't know how to pronounce half of that, um, which are NRTIs. Um, and so that those categories sat for about 10 years um, as drugs were continuing to be presented to the CDC and approved. Um, we know everybody can take pills unless you, of course, have some other medical issue. Um, but taking a pill doesn't, like, determine your quote-unquote masculinity. Um, anybody can take a pill, regardless of who you are. Sex, gender, sexual, I mean, um, gender identity, um, sexuality, orientation, everything and anything are kind of overlapped. Um, your masculinity is not going to be questioned by you taking pills. Everybody has to take some sort of medication in their life. Um, and so for that, for a male that doesn't change any sort of masculinity um, standing in society. Um, And this paved the way for 
AART, uh, which is also known as highly active antiretroviral therapy. Uh, that started in 1996 and was kind of the most common um, therapy or treatment method for um, HIV and AIDS um, until the early 2010s. And um, in the 2010s, um, early 2010s, 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, um, research and data um, studies came out showing that um, taking a daily dose of like our antiretrovirals not only helped those that were HIV positive, but also helped protect people from being infected. Um, and so in 2012, the FDA approved um, the drug Truvada, which is um, a pre-exposure drug. It's also known as PrEP. Um, it is the PrEP method that I am on or the preventative method that I am on. Um, and it's worked well so far for me as I've gone through the journey of being a um, gay man. Um, and so as that kind of worked, um, they've come out with other ones, Descovy. Um, they've also done some injectable types, um, but it showed that um, PrEP drugs or PrEP in the category of PrEP um, were highly helpful uh, in the prevention of HIV and AIDS. And um, one of the um, very interesting things um, that the United States um, Preventative Task Force um, has recommended publicly over the past 10 years that anybody who's at risk for HIV infection takes PrEP. Not just gay men, not just queer men, but any person. So that includes, of course, any man that's going to have sex with another man, um, straight people who have unprotected risky sex, um, ding, 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 there's that, and those who inject drugs on a regular basis. Because we know that HIV and AIDS can be spread um, via blood and... Um, seminal fluid and um, the cross-contamination between needles. Um, and so those were some really interesting things to find out, um, like the backstory and kind of what I needed to know about HIV and AIDS um, and presenting that. So I know obviously we need to now talk about how this affects masculinity and how this ties into masculinity. Um, and in the study, um, done by five doctors um, that comes out of Eastern Uganda. Um, it's a medical journal that um, I found by, like, by way of a medical journal in the UK. Um, doctors Mala Ram, Godfrey Sue, David uh, Batira, Morton Skadoval, and Paula Holland, um, within their findings, determined that HIV stigma and masculinity um, was intersected with just men's participation in HIV. Um, and specifically, the stigma surrounding HIV um, threatens um, masculine notions that we have, both hegemonic and traditional, um, of respectability, independence, and emotional control. Um, a lot of times with that toxic or that um, quote-unquote straight masculinity that we find um, lying within hegemonic masculinity, um, that thought of like emotional control and like not being, you know, emotionally vulnerable and um, not crying, not, you know, not being a, uh, less of a man um, really sticks through. And also just that, um, like I said, also that um, that aspect of domination within things that that need for for not for violence as much, because I mean, obviously within um, sex, there are categories of, 
kinks and I don't want to go too far into that, but, um, things like obviously being a dominatrix and, um, subordination within sex and the, um, the masculinity that is questioned within that and the aspects that are questioned within that. Um, but that stigma that surrounds HIV of being like, oh, like it has to come from men that have sex with their men. It can come to HIV and AIDS can be infected and given to anybody. Um, anybody that has sex, anybody that is potentially swapping fluids, um, that is swapping blood, um, it doesn't make anybody any less of a man or any less of a woman um, to get HIV and or AIDS. It just means people should have been a little bit safer. Um, but it shows that a lot of times when we're um, when we're looking through society and as we kind of look through, you know, um, the picture of history as HIV and AIDS has become more prevalent in our society, we often look back to those things from the 90, or from the, the 80s and the 90s that tell us, you know, this is going, to, this is a gay disease. A lot of, a lot of straight men, a lot of men in general, um, think that it is still a gay disease, um, in society. And I think it's also a lot of men, because they want to hold up that like that idea of like oh I can't get it there's no way I'm a straight man there's no way in hell I could ever catch this um, we lack the idea that masculinity can be tied into education and vice versa education being like being educated and being exposed to these facts would then question one's masculinity. Um, and I think that's a really negative trait that we find in society. Um, and that's something that, you know, is really just really, really, really interesting. And um, a lot of things that I've seen throughout this research period have showed me that, you know, a lot of research that is guided in the U.S. and also worldwide is not as geared towards heterosexual men getting HIV and AIDS. Right. A lot of it because we have those bigger um, percentages leaning towards the gay, bisexual uh, and queer communities for men. Um, it's a lot easier to do research on that. It's also a lot easier to find queer men that are willing to do this research. Right. Because a lot of those big things around surrounding a stigma for straight men is, oh, why would I do that research? That obviously means I like men. No, it doesn't. It just means that we need research to determine who can get HIV, who can get AIDS. I mean, the answer we know is anybody and everybody. Um, but it's that, you know, that that thought that like, oh, like I'm less of a man if, if I go do this. And I'm less of a man if, if the potential that I could have it shows. And I don't want my name attached to anything that would show any research for it. Because why would I do that research? Why would I show that? Um, and so I think we have a really long ways to go um, in the research between men, masculinity, HIV and AIDS. I think there's a long way for research to go. There's always going to be research that can be done and will be done. Uh, it just has to be done by the right people. Um, and I'm sure there is there is data out there. There are studies out there that I did not find between search between databases and keyword searches and medical journals um, and all of that. But the the baseline, 
the baseline, you know, kind of presentation or like, not presentation, but like the, how do I word this properly? Um, I really, at this point, don't care about like hurting anybody's feelings, like straight men, especially um, surrounding this, but like, it does not make you any less of a man to contract HIV and AIDS. If you have sex with anybody, your potential for having HIV or AIDS is there. Anybody that has sex, unprotected sex, risky sex, um, that may use drugs, that, you know, may even have experimented with another man, that does not make you any less of a man, that just means that you had, a, had you know, an opportunity. You, ha- you had something that was present, you chose it, you took it. Um, it's not making you any less of a man. Be safe. Take PrEP if you, I feel like everybody should. I feel like it's really important. You have to have insurance for it, of course. It's very, very, very pricey, very expensive. Um, But masculinity is not going to be questioned if you potentially have HIV or AIDS. Um, And with that, I feel like I will continue doing research. Um, But I hope that this kind of sets like the baseline of uh, my college student knowledge Um, But also as a gay man, I learned a lot throughout this process of things that I needed to educate myself with. Um, So thank you so much.